Well, we are uh, continuing in this series in First Peter. Um, we're, we're nearing the end. We're getting almost all the way through this book. We're going to finish up chapter 4 today, and we're going to pick this up at chapter 4, verse 12. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to find that. First Peter is near the end of your Bible, uh, just a few books before the very end of that. You always got to remember the Bible is not a book, it's a library. It's got 66 books in this library. 39 of those are in the Old Testament and 27 of those are in the New Testament. So we're near the, near the end of the Bible. It's easy if you use an app. You can pull it up on your phone. Uh, invite you to follow along. But let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and we're reading through verse 19. Peter writes this. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also... If the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together this morning. Well, I want to say there's, um, there's a, a sweet and subtle myth that kind of pervades our our culture, and it's a lie that has led to ruined marriages and spoiled careers and damaged bodies and broken hearts. And uh, many of us have found ourselves perhaps kind of saying this myth to our, our friends or a loved one in an attempt to help them and encourage them, but really it's a, it's a destructive lie. And the, the myth of the lie goes like this, you deserve to be happy. Ever heard that? Ever said that? Ever thought that? I deserve to be happy. Well, I want you to be happy. You're allowed to be happy, right? Happiness is a good thing. I didn't, I'd suggest you pursue it. But we don't deserve it any more than we deserve anything else. You see, sometimes that basic truth like this gets manipulated. I mean, basic truths get manipulated by this myth. So let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, an evangelistic organization, kind of popularized a way of explaining the gospel called the four spiritual laws. And the first of the four spiritual laws says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, that is a truth. But that's not a promise of ease or comfort or prosperity in your life. It's kind of gets manipulated by this, you deserve to be happy. Yeah, God wants you to have a you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. You deserve to be happy. That's how we think about it. It would be better to say God loves you and has a meaningful purpose for your life. So you see how things get distorted a little bit. Or this one, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Many of us have this on our on our you know the wall of our office. It's on a calendar in your in your home somewhere. 
Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Well, I love that verse. I've shared that verse with many people. I personally find comfort in that verse. That's an awesome promise of God. But we are usually ignoring the broader context of that verse. It was spoken to the Israelite people in a time of captivity. Right? And so... Jeremiah 29, 11 has often been somewhat misinterpreted to suggest that the Christian should expect a happy, trouble-free, prosperous existence all the time. And it's just not that way. So what ends up happening, for example, is a Christian man or woman, you know, might complain to a church-going co-worker about their frustrating spouse. And the friend says, well, you deserve to be happy. After all, the Bible says God plans to prosper you. So you should leave your spouse and find someone better. Well, that's the kind of the way it gets trotted out. That's how myths can be just sound good, but they're destructive. But what if we've confused happiness and joy? What if we've mixed those up? See, joy is that deep abiding decision to be at peace in all things, to trust God no matter what, even in grief or health problems or depression or anxiety or financial hardship or physical persecution. Joy trumps happiness as good as happiness is. So much of our kind of Western or American perspective on faith, this view that God's blessing should equal no suffering and endless success in life, while it sounds good, it's not completely biblical. And it's partly true. But think about, by contrast, what we just read, the Apostle Peter wrote that suffering for our faith should be expected. Expected. Okay, think about this. Peter, the leading disciple, right? The number one guy of, of, of Jesus' disciples, kind of setting the, the pace. He wrote to this persecuted people and says, Be glad. Be happy. Praise God for your suffering. Now, he did not say, Well, you're having hard times. You guys just ought to have more faith. You, you should just give more. You just claim your victory and you'll have no more suffering. No. He said, consider yourself privileged that you are so much like Christ that people make, want to make you suffer for it. You're so much like Christ, people want to make you suffer for it. Be glad about that. So Peter was talking to believers who were suffering actual physical persecution. And, well, we rarely do. And so then it's not necessarily easy for us to relate to what they're going through. I you know, we may have some opposition or criticism to face, but okay, we also endure temptations and struggles, uh, and that, that our enemy, the devil, throws our way to distract us and discourage us. And, and, and so that would mean there's principles in this passage that apply to us as well. So we're going to unpack a few of these principles, um, for those who do or who will, uh, experience opposition or hardship because of their faith in Christ. Are you what, ready with me? If you're falling in your insert, there's some fill-ins that you can do in that. I encourage you to take notes while we speak. I, I like to take notes when someone's speaking. It helps me stay awake and follow along. Actually learn some stuff. So you may want to do that. And the first will be this. Don't be surprised when life does not go your way. Don't be surprised when life doesn't go your way. Peter wrote this. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Right? In other words, it's normal to face opposition and difficulties. Now, 
my personal rebuttal is to this. My personal rebuttal to this is, is this. Hey, I'm a nice guy. This shouldn't apply to me. Right? I don't deserve these complications. As though there's some way to sort of make a case for comfort. But elsewhere in the New Testament, we read a verse like this from Ephesians 6.12. For we're not fighting against flesh. In fact, let's read this one together. Ready? Go. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's an enemy of your soul. And we live in a world governed by sin. So, perhaps we should be surprised when things go right. When things go well. Right? I, I, you know, after all, we don't deserve good things any more or less than we deserve trouble. Now, I would rather you're an optimist than a pessimist. I would rather you say, oh, I'm glad things went well today, rather than I just knew everything was going to go wrong. I, you know, that's not what I'm talking about here. But we want to be grateful to God when things go well. But don't get mad at Him when they don't. Be thankful. Because it's for your ultimate benefit, as you see also in, in these verses that, that Peter talks about, verse 13 in particular. God is on your side in all these things. So, don't be surprised when things don't go your way. The other, you know, secondly, and, and I would say this is becoming more of a reality in our world, particularly perhaps on school campuses or in the workplace, that we should not be surprised or upset by insults. Peter says, verse 14, be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. In other words, is your second fill in there to be insulted for Christ is an affirmation of your faith. To be insulted for Christ is an affirmation of your faith. Now, does it feel good to be insulted? No. When you're confronted by that atheist coworker or that anti-Christian teacher or neighbor or maybe passed over for a better opportunity at work because they know you're a Christian, do you savor that feeling of rejection and humiliation? Ah, oh, it just feels so good to be disregarded. No. You do not. It does not feel good. So then why be happy about it? Well, you're happy because when you're insulted and criticized for your faith and assuming, Peter says, you're not just being a bad actor about this. You're not being persecuted because you're a criminal or, or a busybody, right? It could be that your opponents sense the presence of Jesus Christ in your life and that makes them uncomfortable. Why? Because they've already rejected Jesus and they don't want him around. And you're there and you bring the fragrance of Christ and they're like, I don't like this. I'd rather you not be here. Right? So the insults themselves are not the blessing. It's the presence of God upon you that's the blessing. And the insults are evidence of that. Now, I'm not denying that it's frustrating and that it's hurtful. One of the big shifts I feel like I've noticed in our nation and this seems to just kind of have, be having this kind of snowball effect, is that insults toward Christians and the Christian community have gone from, you're old-fashioned, you're out of touch, to you're a bad person. You're an evil group of people. It's a, it's a kind of this shocking shift that, wait, wait, what? <laughs> it's a personal attack on character rather than simply saying, I disagree with you. And that is kind of this new reality that, that we're waking up to that the rest of the world has faced for a long, long time. 
this name calling is particularly hurtful because um, we're accused of being the opposite of what we actually are or at least want to be. Right. So, for example, right now, it's Christian agencies that are most quickly on the ground in these these storm hit areas. They're the ones that are most efficient with funds. They're the ones that are most effective in what they're doing. Um, you know, if you give to the Red Cross, that's fine. But only a small portion of what you give actually helps those in need. If you give to Mennonite Disaster Service, and there's an insert in your program today to tell you more about MDS, or Convoy of Hope, or Samaritan's Purse, or Baptist Men, some of these large Christian agencies, they go in an incredibly efficient way, spend almost all that money directly on the need. And so when people are saying Christians are terrible people, you think, what are you? Are you even paying any attention? Right. And that's part why it hurts. And so, you know, these people on the ground, they're they're helping regardless of of gender or race or sexual preference. They're just in there helping people. And yet Christians are accused of being racist and bigots. And so that's just what we live with. And we rise up regardless to serve and to love and to bless and to not curse in return. Now, I've pointed out um, in, uh, you know, that we are somewhat removed from the reality of persecution um, for our faith uh, compared to the rest of the world. And so to help, I've uh, asked a friend of mine, Chris Hawes, to come. And um, Chris, why don't you take that one right there? And um, Chris is here with Horn of Africa Ministries. And uh, Chris, you're going to share with us a little bit about the reality of life in, in Ethiopia and those areas. And uh, you've recently been there. And uh, there's a picture of Chris and his wife, Bethany. There's one other picture up there, too, I included. Why don't we go to that next one? I don't know if uh, Carter can throw that other one up there. We had some fun connections, too, before we get into a little story. Uh, Anyway, this is Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Um, So thank you for having me. Good morning. I did want to share before I share a little of that story, just my connection to this church was uh, my brother married Kelly and Kathy Noctegall's daughter, Melanie. And uh, they got married in the church. Uh, the reception was right in here. But I was really interested in this lady named Bethany. So before I walked in, I took a couple pictures uh, with the sign Bethany behind me. And I blew them up real big for when I proposed to her alongside a road there. So um, kind of a fun connection there. And then this place was a, my rock during uh, college at FPU. I would come here during the Thursday nights at the source. was really blessed by that and getting to know several people in the church here. And a couple of months ago, I came uh, with uh, Dr. Teddy's advice uh, over teaching in the Sunday school. Uh, he was sharing about persecution. So I shared a little bit uh, about that. And I'd like to just share that story. So working for Horn of Africa, I get the pl- a pleasure of going over to Ethiopia uh, a couple of times a year. And so this time last year, I, I went and we were tra- traveling and we sat down with a pastor and we were just asking him, how is the ministry going? And he said, you know, it's been really hard. We just had two of our um, disciples uh, get captured and they were taken to prison and they were beaten and thrown in there in the prison. And so my team member just said, hey, let's pray for him right now. And so he said a simple prayer, 10 seconds, just saying, Lord, would you please uh, watch over these uh, pastors, disciples that have been taken and would you release them? Would you? Uh, but if that's not your will, would you use them for your glory? So we did that. We went to another city and did a tour and then we had lunch and we got the news that the, the pastors were released. 
We went, whoa, that was fast from breakfast to lunch. And now they're released. And while they were coming to our equipping training uh, for the next three days, they didn't make it quite back by that night. But Dr. Marcos of Horn of Africa got to minister to the person who had had some uh, things on his body and being persecuted. And he said, can I lead worship tomorrow? And he was just on fire and excited. And in that, we got to then hear the story of what took place. Uh, so as these two on the next slide, they're kind of, uh, that were there and they shared the story. And you can go to the next slide. Here's sharing the uh, story about what happened. He said, we got captured. The guards beat us. They threw us in a prison with a bunch of other Muslims. And when it came time for the Muslims to pray, they said, you go in the corner and be quiet. It's our turn. It's our time to pray. And so they did. They went in the corner and they were quiet and the Muslims did their prayer. When the Muslims were done, these two others came and said, OK, we want you to go in the corner and be quiet. And it's our turn to pray. And so they did that. They just uh, beautifully worshiped the Lord. And then they confidently prayed, saying, Lord, would you forgive the guards that beat us? Would you forgive these other Muslims here that have been mistreating us in here? And they just prayed simply to him and powerfully. And after that, the Muslims went, whoa. We have never seen someone pray that way. We've never seen someone have a relationship with God like that. And they came to them and they said, tell us more. We want to know more about this. And then even the guards that had previously beat them would come over and say, sorry, can you tell us more about this, Jesus? And then the other prisoners came and they gave them their contacts and where they were from. And they said, when we get out, we want you to come to our village and tell us, uh, tell them all about Jesus. So here they were just ecstatic and excited. And now they're coming back to this training and sharing this, that this has happened. And the, this gentleman on the left just shared that he would actually, the Lord had showed him that he would die doing this. He didn't know how or when, but he's sitting there excited and beaming and sharing. And the rest of the pastors in the training are on the edge of their seats, like looking at him jealous that they, that he gets to do this and they want that. And so for me, it was just a very powerful Example of how, just like we sang in the in Christ Alone song, his power in us and what he can do through that persecution. So I wanted to briefly share that story. There's a couple more here. It's not always a big uh, Africa crazy story. This gentleman is Somalian and he wants, as a believer, to really love and serve his wife in tangible ways. And so he's helping her do laundry. That is not OK in the Somalian culture. And he's become the laughing stock because he's wanting to obey scripture. And so how do we deal with that type of uh, persecution? The way I kind of bring it home is I think about you take an orange and you squeeze it. What do you get? You get orange juice, right? Take an apple, you squeeze it and you get apple juice. If you take a Christian and you squeeze a Christian, what should you get? I say you should get Christ juice. Right. And so that's what we're all very, very uh, thirsty for is to give Christ out of us. It may not be this Africa story in our lives. It's just that what comes out of us in that place. Uh, last story, just briefly. Last week, my wife goes around and prays for our, our apartments where we lived as a prayer walk. And she was out there one morning. I came out from another outing and uh, she said, let's go pray for the manager. And I uh, it's almost eight o'clock. We go in the office and I really don't want maybe you should just go. I've been kind of complaining to the manager because they don't fix things. And uh, so I'm feeling I'm getting squeezed, but I know I should. We go in and we just tell her, hey, we're praying for those in the apartments here. Is there anything we can do to pray for you? 
She's not the lady with the best countenance or the uh, kindness, but she just got really quiet. And then she started crying and saying, my daughter just had a baby a couple of weeks ago that now died. And so we got to just pray for her. And I was like, oh, man, if I would just allow Christ to come out of me in those moments. So thank you for letting me share. I put in the back uh, table a couple different things. If you go to the next slide there, um, there, there's these examples in Africa all over of these thorns. And so I brought one back 10 years ago from Africa and made a little um, uh, cross out of it. If you wanted to see that, it's a little brittle. But And then if you would like to know more about Horn of Africa, uh, I've got the slide on the next one and uh, the website. And I would really encourage you to just be in prayer for those that are uh, being persecuted. So there's some prayer cards back there as well. Thank you very much. Chris, thanks for sharing. Um, hey, let me just ask you one last question. Like, yeah, hang on to that. For you personally, what has it meant to encounter these believers who are really paying the price to follow Christ? Like, so for you, as you encounter that, how has it impacted or shaped your own life? Sure. Thank you. Joy and prayer, if I had to put it into two words, just seeing them dedicate their time and sacrifice their lives towards prayer, knowing that the Lord will then, when they go out on the field, he accomplishes things very fast and the best way. And so the prayer and then just the joy, seeing their joy, you can never take that away. Uh, so thank you. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Well, listen, let me let me um, kind of re- bring us into sort of some ways to respond to these things that we're talking about, because whether we're being persecuted or whether we're just enduring some hard times or some frustrations in life when we're being squeezed like that orange and what kind of juice is coming out of us. If you're like me, it hasn't always been sweet Jesus juice. Sometimes it's been sour and uh, we want to we want to know how do we prepare for and how do we respond to mistreatment. So four things here. First is this. I want you to see your trials as a partnership with Christ. That's what Peter's talking about here, verse 13, right? He, he's, he's talking about that, that, uh, he says, be very glad these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Believers who suffer for Christ will experience the favor and the glory of God in ways that are kind of deeper than others. I want to take you just briefly to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, this is part of John's vision about the end of times. And, and this is one of the things that John uh, notices, observes. He says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred. That means killed for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and they said, oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? And then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. You see, they have a level of connection, a relationship with Jesus and that kind of blessing and favor dressed in those white robes. You know, your trials are a partnership with Christ and those who suffer experience Jesus in a deeper way. This is the kind of things that Chris was talking about. So we understand hardships in the right way. We're going to turn to Jesus for partnership rather than railing against them, rather than complaining to all your friends. I can't believe this is happening to me. This is so unfair. Uh, Instead, we turn to Jesus as a partner in this. 
We don't blame him or abandon him. Whether it's a health need, even a financial crisis, broken relationship, we turn to say, Jesus, you know what it means to suffer. Help me now to partner with you in my suffering. So that's, we want to see your trials as a partnership. Secondly, recognize the world hates the truth. Well, hates Christ as well, but the world hates the truth. But we love anyway. We love the people around us anyway. You cannot argue someone into agreement with the truth. A friend of mine recently quipped, no one changes their mind on Facebook. Well, if you've noticed that, it really, it doesn't work, right? So our enemy, the devil, manipulates and controls people with convincing lies. So the best we can do is to live the truth and speak the truth, to, to trust that our love for people will break through that veil, open that veil of deception that people are experiencing. Jesus warned his disciples of this when Jesus himself said in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. It's the reality. So recognize the world hates the truth. Third, you want to pursue righteousness, not justice. Well, what do I mean by that? Righteousness, not justice. Verse 16 says, It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. You see, when something goes wrong, we instinctively want justice. You know, I I was going through something recently and, and someone says, Well, Aren't you going to get a lawyer? Aren't you going to sue? No. <laughs> no, we want... It's our instinct to want justice. But... Um, and, and you kind of defend ourselves. We want to set the record straight. We want to prove to the world that we're in the right. Right? That we're... That we're, we have the truth. That we're a blessing. But he's saying, don't do that. Pursue righteousness instead it's it's okay to let yourself be mistreated for the cause of christ so when a coworker says oh you're you're one of those religious bigots aren't you right it's okay you know that you're not and that person is not your judge god is your judge he's the one you will answer to if you are a bigot if you are being a racist yeah you better deal with that with jesus but not with your coworker. seek to live right rather than being proved right and then the fourth one is this, that, that in the face of hardship, you want to commit to viewing the big picture. See, as we've all been discovering, life is surprisingly short and we want to enjoy life. We want to enjoy a good life. We want to be happy. We want to see good days. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's a, a promise from Scripture that you can see good days. right? But the big picture is that we are in the end of times. There is a deadline coming. We talked about that last Sunday. And, you know, in the return of Christ, it will not be long before we stand before the judge who will determine not only our salvation, but our final reward. And verse 17 says, for the time has come for judgment and it be, must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed the good news? Remember, judgment is not the same as punishment. We're not talking about the same. Judgment is simply that examination of your life, that discerning of where to go next, that's what judgment is. And if you put your faith in Christ, that's who you're counting on for salvation. So the big picture is that we keep reminding ourselves what actually matters, what really matters. Now, when I was a kid, okay, back in the, 
probably 1930s, 40s, maybe 50s, there was a kind of artwork that was hung in people's houses called, they were ceramic plaques. Anybody ever familiar with that? They were sort of clay or ceramic plaques. We had one in our house that hung on the wall of the house. I saw it every day as a kid growing up. It was a little bit scary as a kid, i got to say. This isn't it, but it's something like this. I apologize for the for the poor resolution on that picture. It's the best I could find. Um, but I saw it every day, and it's I contributed to the great missionary statesman C.T. said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's a big picture statement. That's a big picture statement. Drive what you want to drive. Live in the house you want to live in. Eat the meals you want to eat. Just know that the things that matter are what we do for Christ. The things we do for the Lord is what's going to count for something in the end. So, verse 19. He says, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep going. Keep doing, keep doing what's right. Trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. When we talk about these things, my goal is not to make you fearful of hard times, fearful of coming persecution. I'm not trying to encourage you to be miserable or to be downcast in any way. Christians ought to be fully alive, joyful, enjoying life, loving our friends, right? Loving our neighbors, loving our enemies. We need to enjoy laughter and comedy and the satisfaction of good food and good company, all those things. It's good to be happy, but I want you to remember to be prepared, to be ready to stand for Christ, even when it gets hard. Rejoicing that you have been found worthy. This is the ultimate compliment to be found worthy of suffering for the name of our Lord. Let's pray. God, we're grateful today as we are each week that you've preserved this word for us. And we do not want to take it lightly. And Lord, we... Um, we've often talked about how comfortable we are and how easy it is just to live in comfort. And we just say we do not want to miss that we are called to live for you. We are called to answer to you. We're called to lead others to know you, to love the people around us, regardless of how they treat us. God, would you help us with that today? God, would you allow us and help us to stand up no matter how we're being squeezed today? To, to live in a way that what comes out is more of you. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling with us today, those of us who just feel like, I'm, I got nothing, I got nothing left, would you cause us, God, to, to have a desire to just bring ourselves before you, yield ourselves fully to you and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. And I, 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 will, I, will, I will stand for you no matter what. And Lord, we, in ourselves, we can't do it. We do not physically, mentally, emotionally, we do not have the capacity to do that. We need you by your Holy Spirit in us and upon us to do that as you promised right here in your word. Lord, I pray that as we step into this week, whatever we face, God, I ask that we would do so guided by you, directed by you, filled by your spirit, led by you. We just thank you for that. Church, as you head into this week, my challenge to you is to, to really grapple with those big picture questions. What really matters and what am I really giving my life to? And if you're someone that does not know Jesus yet, you've never surrendered, you've never yielded your life to Him, today would be a great day to do that. It's not difficult. You, as you're hearing, it could have a very high cost. But to, to surrender your life to Jesus is simple. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
I trust you to forgive me and to lead my life. I will follow you. And then from there, you spend the rest of your life learning what that means. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence here today and for your leadership in our lives. We give you our praise. Amen.